tax tax, which is always exciting. GST reform. That's a great idea. Um, more efficient tax. Due diligence now. Hey everyone and welcome. You're listening to Tax Wrap, episode 29 this week. Now, it's been a busy week in the Taxpayers Australia's office. Uh, Andy, Letty and Reese, who join me now. You guys have been running around like headless chooks trying to put stuff together. So Andy, what's been going on around the office? Oh, Nathan, we've, um, we've been compiling a response to the government. Uh, the government, um, about a month or two ago, released a paper uh, called Rethink, which is a discussion paper on uh, Australian tax reform. Now. Most people will know that the government is currently working on delivering a white paper, hopefully towards the end of this year or at the start of next year, on reform of the tax system. So they've started this process with this uh, rethink discussion paper and they've set a deadline of of the 1st of June for us to put submissions through and uh, we've been working busily behind the scenes (laughs) putting together a paper on behalf of our members. And in doing so, what we've done is we've actually gone out and surveyed our members and we're very grateful for all your responses out there we've got a a big uh, number of responses uh, on some of our survey questions we did a 37 question survey and our members have come and told us what they think uh, how we should uh, change or fix or reform the tax system now Letty, what are the big numbers here uh, i see here it says an overwhelming 84 percent of respondents are of the view that the issue of bracket creep increases the incentives for tax planning and structuring. Now that takes us to our first point, sure. the indexation of bracket creep. Sure, David. Um, so as you just pointed out, um, for our survey, 84% of our uh, of the people who responded to the survey think that bracket creep is an issue because it increases the, uh, the motivation to do tax planning just to avoid bracket creep. And Another 49%, which is almost half of the people who responded to the survey, uh, also think that bracket creep is access a disincentive for people to wow. work more. Now, just as a, by way of background for our listeners, what bracket creep basically refers to is, uh, you know how um, we have a progressive tax system and mm-hmm. the marginal tax rate is higher for each level of income. And mm-hmm. because these tax thresholds are not indexed very often, with economic, general economic growth, general CPI growth, general wages growth, people might get pay rises that reflect the growth in the economy, uh, but it might bump them up into the next tax bracket, yep. so they're taxed at a higher marginal rate on that income, but they're not being taxed on, uh, they're not being taxed very fairly on that, because mm-hmm. it's like saying $50 today is not worth what, 50, what it was worth 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the whole issue of bracket creep refers to, I mean, our proposed tax reform sort of looks to make it a little bit more fair, but that's yeah. not really historically what the tax office has been about in regards to this issue. Would well, you say the that? tax law, the, I mean, there's there's a bit of a balancing act um, for the government to do, uh, for all governments over time. I mean, to be fair, you can't just, you know, be changing numbers every five minutes yeah, to respond to the yeah. economy. Uh, you know, for the tax law to be simple, there also needs to be a bit of certainty. Um, but what we've been finding, the whole tax professional community actually has been finding is because uh, the thresholds just don't get changed very often, um, people are moving up in bracket creep. And recent government reports, including the uh, intergenerational report that was issued only a couple of months ago, uh, identified that bracket creep is quite an issue, and that was actually also in the rethink discussion paper. Basically, it's saying that um, in future years, people are going to be paying, well, personal income tax is going to uh, be a bigger and bigger proportion of the total government tax take uh, because of bracket creep. 
Um, and so what we at Taxpayers Australia proposed is that the government consider looking at in indexing the tax thresholds to the wages price index, which is issued by the ABS okay. every year, or the Australian Bureau of Statistics every year, so that at least the um, tax thresholds that push uh, income into the next tax bracket will be roughly reflective of the growth um, in wages, which should reflect the growth in the economy. I think that works pretty well. And it, it, it's pretty uh, drastic to think that 49% believe that it actually disincentivises them. Yes, that's And that, that's right. quite alarming. Yes. So it, it shows us that The more you work, the more you're taxed. Absolutely, yes. yeah. Now, mature-aged workers, what's what's yes. the deal here? Yes, so uh, so that also um, goes back to the intergenerational report, which shows that in the next 40 years, Australia is going to see an increasingly ageing population. People are going to live longer. There'll be a bigger and bigger proportion of people who... Uh, are aged over 65 and there'll be a smaller and smaller proportion of people in the community who are of working age, in other words, taxpayers. And so uh, what the government really needs to look at doing is how can we, how can they incentivise people to save for their own retirement to release the pressure on the public purse uh, in the future? And yes, we do have a superannuation system, but is that necessarily always going to be enough? Mm. And so what we have recommended is for the government to consider introducing a tax offset for mature age workers, uh, so, which will effectively give them a bit of a discount on the tax that they pay on em employment income so that they'll have some sort of incentive to stay in the workforce longer, uh, co contribute to the economy in their way and to um, fund their own retirement as well, eventual retirement to the extent that they're able to. Okay, that seems to work pretty well as a proposal for reform. Now, Andy, turning to business now, the two-tier company tax system, uh, that's something that I've heard mentioned quite a lot recently. What do you propose? Yeah, basically out of the budget, Nathan, the government proposed that we have a two-tier company tax system. So companies are normally taxed at 30%, but however, for small business entities, uh, the government gave a tax cut of 1.5%, so they're paying tax at 285 so that essentially creates what we refer to as a two-tier tax, company tax system. Mm -hmm. So we, we thought about this and we thought, okay, our members, seven out of our ten members or our respondents to uh, our survey said that they don't believe in this two-tier tax system. Right. And we, we went away and reflected on that and we wondered why. And I think one of the main reasons is that there's an additional compliance burden on um, people who have to look at you know, these uh, a company and work out whether they should be paying tax at the lower rate or not. I mean, obviously, we have a two million dollar annual turnover test to work out whether you're a small business or not. But it does create an additional compliance burden. So, so we've we've looked at that. We've taken that into account, and we're of the view that there should be a only one company uh, tax rate, and that company tax rate over time, we hope, should be reduced to assist businesses overall. So so that's our general uh, view on, on that. Obviously, it's a very, very difficult question as to whether you um, you do have a two-tier company tax system. It does help with a small business's cash flow, but at the same time, you don't want to overly burden small business as well, which make which make up 96% of um, the, the, the business community. So in creating a single company tax system across the board, that means a big business and small business will be working under the same tax rate. Is that correct? That's correct, as, as it currently stands before any sort of um, 
uh, legislation get through Parliament. Okay, and and Joe Hockey's stance on introducing this 28.5% tax rate for small business was to encourage small business growth. So what do you think will happen in the next decade uh, if the government does look to change it back from a two-tier company tax system? What do you think will change? Yeah, if I mean, I'd like to see one company tax rate, but and over time that company tax rate reducing for all businesses, I think that would be important. How we uh, help small business—that's uh, you know—that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question in terms of do we provide more tax concessions? Do we alleviate the compliance burden? A lot of our respondents said that the compliance was you know very very heavy in terms of uh, you know running their business, and so we should be looking at ways to say okay. How can we reduce that compliance burden so that uh, business owners can concentrate on running their business and in, in improving their profits and, and, and overall viability? FBT now, non-cash benefits, uh, what's the deal here? Yes, yeah, so for a very long time, since 1986, almost 30 years ago, we had the FBT system and that system imposed uh, an FBT liability, a tax for employers who provide uh, non-cash benefits to their employees. Uh, for example, the, to, to stamp out the long business lunch that Paul Keating mentioned <laughs> back in the 1980s. So it does place a huge burden on businesses in ensuring that they get the compliance right. And there are a number of different types of exemptions in the FBT law, which can be very, very confusing for, for business owners to, to, to deal with. So in our uh, submission to the government, we've We've looked at it and we thought perhaps now is the time for these non-cash benefits. Rather than to be taxed in the hands of the employers, perhaps consider it being taxed in the hands of employees and taxed at their uh, uh, marginal rate. Uh, it is a proposal that um, we think may, may work, particularly now that we're moving more to uh, a standard business reporting type environment, an automation type environment. So if you know, for example, if an employer were to provide you with a, you know, if they were to reimburse some costs for you, um, that were off a private expense uh, rather than that expense going into the FBT return and being subject to tax. We think that potentially that could flow straight into your your um, your uh, payment summary at the end of the year and record it as an assessable amount to which you should be paying uh, tax on and having PAYG withheld from that. So that's a proposal, it's an idea. Um, obviously, you know, you'll need to think through the minutiae of that, but uh, it is an idea and it's worth considering. So do you mind if I ask, me being an, uh, an employee, um, suddenly I may have to pay tax where I didn't have to pay tax before? If the liability changes sides, um, do you see that being reform that the everyday taxpayer is probably going to... Like, is it is it sort of um, short-term pain for long-term gain? Is that how you see it? It is It is to some extent. It also, you know, because the whole uh, FBT area, it's, it is an integrity measure to ensure that some form of tax is paid on that that non-cash remuneration. If, if if there are ways to help employers simplify that, employees might push back. They might say, look, we don't want to pay tax on this, but yeah, it is a non-cash benefit that you have received and so rightfully should be paying some form of tax on that. The only question is whether it should be levied on the employer or the employee. That's Do you think it benefits the the system in the long term more to have it levied on the employee? Uh, we, we think so. Um, in many jurisdictions, uh, I mean, it, that is the case, that it is levied on the employee. It's only Australia and New Zealand that, oh, wow. uh, okay. that have an FBT system where uh, the, the tax is actually paid by the employer. Right. Uh, turning to Super now, Reese, uh, what sort of reforms will we be looking at in that area? Yep, um, there's been a lot of conversation about superannuation, and particularly the benefits that 
uh, high wealth individuals get in relation to the superannuation system. So we surveyed our members on that and whether they thought this was an issue. Um, and 56% came back to us and said that there is a need to reform superannuation uh, in relation to this area, um, whether it's uh, having a concessional, uh, sorry, a progressive tax on concessional contributions or taxing incomes over a, a certain level. Um, our view is it's not so much the issue of, of wealthy individuals, then you get into a bit of, bit of a, a class warfare argument. And to me, that's, that's not the right way to approach it. The issue is, what is the purpose of superannuation? The purpose of superannuation is there to get people off the age pension. The argument then is to say, well, once the superannuation gets to a certain level, it's no longer meeting that requirement. And therefore, should the tax concessions then still apply to those kind of superannuation funds? And that's, that's the issue that we think needs to be addressed. Um, so whether it is saying once you reach a certain level of superannuation that you lose some or all of the tax concessions or to limit contributions like uh, non-concessional contributions so that once you reach, say, $2.5 million in your super fund that you're no longer able to add to that through concessional contributions. That's we think is probably the better argument is to say once you've reached this level, you really don't need the superannuation concessions anymore. Um, and that's the way that we, we think it should be, and I think that's the way our, our members support it. So one of the things we have suggested is to cap uh, the non-concessional contributions, either at six times uh, the annual rate or at uh, once you reach $2.5 million in your super fund. Um, the reason for that is that most people are never going to be able to contribute annually $100 $80,000 to this superannuation. Mm -hmm. um, and the only way you're going to get your superannuation nest egg up to a really, really high number is by putting in a lot of those non-concessional contributions. So we think that in order to limit some of the, uh, the benefits that you therefore should cap it. Um, one exception to that would be in relation to a CGT exemptions for small business. Uh, most small business people don't contribute enough to their superannuation as it is. Uh, but at the end, when they come to retire, they may have a lot of business assets that they want to then recontribute into their superannuation. We think that should be taken out of out of that. Um, so that's that's generally our view on superannuation. Can I just ask the two point five million dollar cap? Uh, how did you get to that number? Um, that's probably when you, when you come up with these numbers, there they they can be a bit arbitrary. Um, but a lot of people have looked at the issue um, and have gone, particularly uh, with uh, ASFAs does an annual review of how much income you need in retirement to have a, uh, a comfortable retirement, and then looked at what kind of base of superannuation you would need to fund that on an annual basis. And it generally come around to around $2.5 million will give you sufficient income to give you a comfortable lifestyle. Anything more than that is, is seen as maybe being a bit excessive. So that's where that number's come from. This may be a uh, confusing or maybe too tough a question to answer, but do you think there's anything that tax system can do to encourage small business people to more actively contribute to the superannuation? I mean, it, it must obviously be hard running a small business. You forget, I mean, you have, you know, potentially thousands of things to report and thousands of compliance measures. So do you think that there's anything that they can do to... It's, it's not so much the compliance. It's, it's the fact that they're trying to keep their business running. Yeah. They've got to pay for, you know, their employees' wages and superannuation and they want to have some money to take home at the end of the day. And in the end, when you balance everything up, a lot of them find they just don't have that extra money to put away to uh, superannuation. So unless you 
have some way of forcing them to, to do that, the best way to do that is allow them to then contribute their uh, assets into superannuation yep. at the end of the So that was your proposal. Time. So yeah. that's the proposal. Fantastic. So what happens next in terms of this? So you, you submit this proposal and then the government aggregates all the proposal, uh, sorry, the submissions that they get from everyone. What happens then? Yes. Yeah, so basic, basically, Nathan, the, the government, well, we've spoken to the government recently and they've said there's, there's over 250 submissions to wow. them, you know, so. That's great. Um, so it's a great number and it's, it's, it's essentially at this point in time, it's an ideas gathering session. So mm -hmm. what we hope to see uh, in the next few months, once the government's had the chance to, to go through all the uh, suggestions is then they'll produce what's referred to as a green paper, which is essentially an options paper. So we'll provide further feedback on that. Fantastic. And then uh, later, hopefully towards the end of the year or in the new year, we'll start to see that the, the white paper. So that will essentially outline the government's uh, short, medium and long-term view as to how the tax system should look based on, based on some of this feedback. Fantastic. Well, listeners, you've joined us in the uh, tax reform patty melt and we'll let you know as soon as we know anything. Thanks for joining us on Tax Wrap episode 29. Please join in next week. See ya. Thank you. Thank you.